0: Welcome to the New Books Network. Hello. Welcome to the New Books in Jewish Studies podcast. I am your host, Ari Barbalat. Today, it is my blessing and my honor to be in dialogue with Professor Bela Bodo. He is Professor of Eastern European History at the University of Bonn, Germany. We are here today to discuss his newly published book, Black Humor and the White Terror, published in New York, by Routledge 2023. Béla, it's an honor to be in conversation with you today. Uh, Ali, thank you very much for the invitation. It's always nice to see you and nice to talk to you. To begin, can you tell us about yourself, and can you tell us what the origins of this book?
1: Um, I am. I was born in Hungary uh, and uh, in the 1960s, so it was not um, a long time ago, uh, educated. In, um, in Hungary and Canada, University of Toronto, and York University, and I spent a better part of my adult life, of my professional life in the United States. I was a professor of Eastern European history at Missouri State University until 2023, so the 2013. Then I moved to Germany, and I've been working for the University of Bonn ever since. My research interest is interwar, Eastern European, and Hungarian history with special emphasis on anti Semitic violence um, in
0: interwar, um, interwar Hungary, particularly after the First World War. In your opinion, should we study jokes as literature, as philosophy, as arts, or as culture? Should we study jokes as all of these? Or does it fall into some analytic categories rather than others? What disciplinary or interdisciplinary tools are most helpful to understanding humor?
1: Well, I, I am a historian, so I I'm, I wrote this book as a history book. Um, but I am also very much interested in all those disciplines you, you mentioned. The book is basically the continuation of my first study on the white terror, which was Really about the study of violence and how, why uh, people commit uh, uh, anti-Semitic violence and how Jews react, uh, try to defend uh, themselves and and basically protect their individual life, individual protect it, uh, protect their community. Um, and so that was a continuation. Maybe I spent a little bit more time when I wrote my this book as a historian. Obviously, I went to to look for historical sources normally available, open to historians. So I went to the archives. I looked at private documents, letters, diaries, memoirs, but also official correspondences. What do these? What survived? What kind of? the traces did these people, the perpetrators, and also sort the of victims left behind. But I was also interested in sociology. I was interested in literature. So I, I, I looked at memory, how people remembered this troublesome period in Hungarian and Jewish history. So I looked at literature, I looked at newspapers, and among, uh, among my sources were the comic weeklies. Not only newspapers, but comic weeklies. And I, I, I just could not, uh, I thought, how could I use this source? What do these comic weeklies tell, tell us about the, the, the mental um, universe of, of, of Jews um, reacting to unprecedented violence? So, what do jokes tell us about change? And it was very difficult to to use this source it, uh, uh, because it was just simply too much. So, after I finished my book, I still had this enormous amount of sources, uh, which they are not with social history, but the history of mentality uh, uh, and history of trauma, the history of psychological and social change. And I decided to, the, to read, write a second book based on these sources. And then Obviously, I had to read up on, on humor, what is humor? And I had to cope, actually master this enormous amount of literature on Jewish humor. What does it mean, Jewish humor, in the East Central European context in the early 1920s? Right? And how this humor, particularly those published in, 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 in novels, but also in a comic weakness. Uh, relate to other kind of sources and social, social and political development, uh, other disciplines, philosophy. Now, the question is, in the case of <coughs> Hungary, I could say that there was obviously an interconnection. People who wrote uh, 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 the best of writers, the best of Jewish writers wrote, uh, wrote for the comic book so novelists, the best-known novelists, the best-known poems, were also the authors of very famous jokes. At the same time, they were influenced the humor of the street. So this circular, circular motion of culture, so people are using... Uh, popular culture, but also impacting high culture is impacting popular culture. And this connection fascinated me. And that was basically one of the sources of
0: my book. How did jokes travel? Can you describe the cultural transfer of jokes between Hungary and other Eastern European countries, cultures, and contexts?
1: So when we talk about Jewish jokes, we have to talk about Eastern European jokes. It is basically, we are talking about the Russian Empire, where in 1910, about 90% of European Jews lived. And a large segment, the high majority of of Jews who lived in the Russian Empire were Orthodox Jews, who lived in small, small villages or small towns. Now, They traveled. The Jewish community was one of the most mobile community in the late 19th century. They faced pogroms, but they also, in Russia, but they all, persecutions, but they also faced poverty, uh, social problems, overpopulation, many, many issues which which forced them to leave their homeland, migrate uh, into Vienna, Budapest, but more importantly, head for overseas. And they carried their cultural luggage with them. And when they arrived in the new country, they preserved uh, their cultural heritage by changing them, adopting them to the new environment. They were not so much uprooted as they were, in fact, in a a sense, from Russia, or transplanted. They they carried the the social-cultural universe with them. And... um, In Central Europe, so we talk about um, uh, uh, jokes. The historians who wrote about this and that was again one of the motives for writing the books. They are anthropologists or linguists, and they paint a static picture of Jewish culture and Jewish humor. This is Jewish humor is basically the humor of uh, the rural communities, uh, Orthodox communities. It is all about Orthodox rabbis, dietary uh, laws, um, uh, social conventions, violation of social conventions. So they deal with the rural universe. They are beautiful, uh, beautiful uh, collections. Thanks God, some of them survived. Um, and in literature, some of them survived as a collection of books. Uh, before uh, the onset of, onset of the genocide. They were collected, so we're, we were lucky to some extent. I was not much interested in this anthropological linguistic analysis. I was interested as historian, what changed? What changed when Jews moved from Russia to, uh, from a small community to Budapest or Vienna? What changed when Jews become urbanites? What change when they become not lower middle class, but middle class? Uh, so as a historian, I'm interested in change. At the same time, I'm also interested what remained, uh, what cultural tradition, what hobbitus, to, to use that overused term, uh, stayed, what remained the same.
0: What is your book's contribution to the history of journalism? What does this study teach us about the media and the press in Jewish history in general, and in Hungry, Hungary in particular? Now, when it comes to journalism, Jews uh, who uh,
1: entered is uh, sent um, to Europe, particularly Hungary, in in large number in the 18th and early 19th century. They brought a very rich tradition uh, uh, with them. Respect for uh, learning, and and they use this tradition to to make a contribution to the cultural transformation of their adoptive lands. So, if you look at the history of journalism uh, in what is today the Czech Republic, uh, Hungary, Poland, uh, or even Germany, the Jewish contribution uh, uh, of uh, to journalism is 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 obvious is is obvious if you think of Germany the uh, the uh, the uh, Ullmann Massi Press for example uh, the liberal press the Berliner target the Titan Berliner and so on they they <coughs> they were unimaginable from the uh, contribution of Eastern European Jews. And this was even more obvious in the case of Hungary. There were a few newspapers, mainly of German uh, German language newspapers, in Hungary in existence in the 1830s, 1840s. But the Hungarian press underwent the transformation. It bloomed after 1860, thanks in part to the contribution of people or uh, of jewish origins to uh, to hungarian culture so most of the editors are the founders of newspapers and indeed journalists but those also who, who draw caricatures were of jewish origins in Hungary. so they the, without you could say with some exaggeration hungarian press would not or would have emerged much later, and would have been a much lower quality in the Jewish contribution. Now, when it comes to the Comic weeklies, it is even more obvious. So the first Comic weekly, uh, Agwe, although i a uh, center figure in my book, uh, was well, created the first Comic Weekly, the Co uh, John Peppercorn, Johnny Peppercorn, which is one of the main sources of my book. And this comic weekly remained the liberal weekly in Hungary until the 1930s and the 1930s. This was absolutely the number one comic weekly in Hungary until 1914. And the same person, Agoy, also established journals for women, for children. So when I was a child in Hungary in the, in the 70s, we still uh, read the same journal established. Uh, by Otto Fargai, um, Der, you know the, the bear, the, the brooming bear that we all loved as kids. Obviously nobody told us about the origins of these journals, not to mention
0: uh, you know the, the Jewish origins of these journals. What if anything was distinctive about Hungarian Jewish humor as opposed to Polish Jewish, Ukrainian Jewish, German-Jewish, French-Jewish, or Middle Eastern-Jewish humor during this period. If you were to extend your study to other communities of Jews, what do you think would be similar or different?
1: Well, I'm, I, I read German, I think, very well, fluently, and uh, with some help I could master some Czech humor. And it's obvious that this humor traveled. So many of the jokes especially Eastern European jokes appeared in different forms in Viennese, uh, 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 Czech, uh, Hungarian uh, newspapers and comic books. What is interesting for me is what remains the same and what changes. So what is is Hungarian Jewish humor? Well, uh, what is Hungarian? Well, it is written in Hungarian. It is written by people of, of of people whose native language is Hungarian, who also mastered Hungarian literature. So, much of many of these jokes reflect uh, reflects the impact of the Hungarian educational system. It reflects the the impact of Hungarian literary tradition. So they are international in the sense that many of these jokes are imported, but many of the the jokes are written at home. And those who are imported, they change significantly in content and form. They adopt, they, they assimilate into the Hungarian cultural environment. What remains the same, what is Jewish in them? They deal with, often deal with typically Jewish issues such as um, assimilation. The problems, psychological, social problems associated with assimilation. They deal with discrimination and how Jewish communities and individual Jews respond to discrimination. So there is a content, but there is also the form which makes Jewish jokes in so many ways unique. It is short. uh, There's many of of, uh, many of them. uh, You know, plays on language and plays on logic. And um, so, this the Jewish forms uh, how uh, to uh, to argue uh, what to leave out in a joke uh, remains uh, remains very European. Many of them are connected to religious literature, uh, uh, Torah, um, and so on. So we have to look at content and form. What stayed the same and what changed, um, and what makes them Hungarian, as I mentioned earlier, is uh, is the is the language and the context of of, of, of you know the, the political and social context unique to that part that country in Central in Central
0: Europe in the interwar period. The social and the political issues they face. And you tell us about? The humor of closed institutions, or what you call satanic laughter, is it on the rise today in present times? Under what conditions does it emerge? The first part of the book
1: deals with um, militia violence. So what, because The topic is really how Jews individually and collectively react to discrimination and violence, in Hungary after the First World War. It is very difficult period in Central European history. The white terror was, in many ways, a precursor to the Holocaust. And, and it says a lot about uh, the, the time to come. Um, um, so it is, uh, we have to know about the people Jews were facing, and why and how they, these people commit their crimes? Why do these young men, brutalized young men who return from the war, commit these horrific uh, atrocities? And I had to explain it in a context of two two contexts. I, I had to look at the war and the brutalizing impact of the war, and you had to look. I had to look at these male communities is male bonding, which occurs in small militia and army units, which I called closed institutions. And this closed institution, I rely on Foucault, in some extent, uh, discipline and punish how this 18th, 19th century closed institution, the very product of modernity, emerged. And the typical sign of this closed institution is secrecy. So people always live in an insecure, insecure environment in a secure environment. They do not have direct access to information, but information available to them only on a need- to know basis. And this institution, based on rigid hierarchies and rules, developed uh, a, a double phase, a double phase where there is an underground, a hidden part, and behind-the-stage world. In front of the audience, everything is orderly. Everything is uh, according to the rule. But behind the scene, there is a secret world, a complete opposite what is playing on the stage. It is the state of anarchy. It is a social Darwinian world, the, the, the strongest survive, where only the strongest survive. And this is the institute, this is the cultural world of prisons, the army barracks, and to some extent, uh, the, the dormitories, uh, workers dormitories, students dormitories in the 20th century. So I reduce this violence and the form of violence and a kind of humor, so I, I do a cultural analysis of these institutions and of these groups and i arrived here a very unique form of humor right which is much more than Schadenfreude. it's much more than taking pleasure in other other people's misery it is sadistic it is really about the destruction of the body and the soul of the opponent and the literature in the late 19th century gives Deals with this issue. Deals with this issue. So the first part of the book <coughs> explains how this satanic humor actually works. This rather dense, this unreflective uh, humor, which uh, it, which, func- which functions as a source of violence, now uh, basically oils the machinery of 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 a of physical violence in 20th century and 21st century Europe and the United States. So I do believe that this form of violence is on the rise with the with the rise of mass prisons. It is especially the privatization of prison, but important militarization of societies. Just let think of Trump. I don't want to make politics, but the Trump language is a typical product of uh, boarding schools, elite boarding schools, and cadet schools. Said, uh, even before Bush language was very much impacted by this fraternity boy's uh, humor. And this very rough and crude form of humor, which Trump basically ejected into American politics, has a lot to do with the humor of this closed institution. Thank you for hearing. What does your book teach us about trauma? my my voice is not giving out completely, but uh, the the second part, the first part of the book deals with the perpetrators and the cultural and mental universe of these young men living in a a world of hierarchies, rigid hierarchy um, and, and discipline. The second part of the book and the third part of the book deals with the the victims' reaction to violence and how they react to the, to the drastic change in the cultural and political universe um, in, after the First World War. We should not forget that Hungarian Jews uh, experienced incredible social mobility. Among uh, a few cities in the world, in New York, Budapest had Jewish mayors at the turn of the century. About one quarter of the, the of the Budapest population were of Jewish uh, origins, uh, of Jewish origins. Either they were Jewish by religion, or converts often counted, uh, uh, often uh, considered in, in so of, of 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 Jewish background. So, uh, about one quarter of the population, one fifth, one quarter of the population of Jewish background. Um, and this. This this kind of humor, um, obviously, uh, the, the humor jokes was a way to deal with trauma, uh, and trauma I use here in the Freudian sense of the world. What happens after the event, right? When, when basically somebody survives the humiliation uh, and began to dream of of and his dreams. Becomes nightmare, which never leaves the individual, and and increasingly swallows up everyday life, and overtakes everyday reality. And this nightmarish reality is reflected in what I call black humor, and which is a, a, a complete um, a caricature, but at the same time, ordinary, like an expressionist film. And I try to make this connection between art and reality because there's not much difference between the expressionist films of the early 19th century, the cabinet of Dr. Caligari, for example, and political cultural reality in in the in the post war period, or the paintings of Gavard Groves or Max Beckman and political and social reality on the street. And how what is real and what is what is imagined, or, or what is what is real, and what is uh, dreamt, what is nightmare. So the, the jokes, especially black humor, was a way to understand and deal with trauma, and uh, it was a, a heuristic device. It was a way to dissect uh, a reality and understand it uh, in in digestible forms and portrait uh, in uh, reflect reality, uh, uh, to explain reality to, uh, to the others. It was also, this black humor was also a way uh, to cope with and give advice. there is a pragmatic element in, to humor. When a, a minority and the questions what you, what you raise, or you, you uh, we, we, we could raise in many respects, how do victims of violence who do not have any other means, well, uh, they don't have weapons in their hands, they have no army, how could they maintain body, how could they could keep body and soul together? How could they survive as the individual and, the, and, and community? And humor was a way of coping psychologically with this trauma, but also giving advice to fellow Jews. But what are the practical way of dealing with military violence. but right? without losing face and it's very difficult uh, to, to deal with, deal with physical violence. I remember as a child or an early adolescent when once I was beaten up on, on my hometown by a Russian officer, right what it means to be uh, to a man who, who has gone and, on his side. Uh, could, uh, could could attack you and and how humiliating, how devastating this physical attack can be. Uh, I feel years and years later I, I had this so I had, I had this nightmare. So I, I address in my book on, on, on black humor um, this trauma and how uh, a humor as a as a means, psychological, political, device uh, to to deal with, uh, deal with trauma, but also with this political
0: problem uh, of Hungarian Jews faced after the First World War. What do you mean by anti-defamation humor? What is distinct about this particular form of humor? So how could Jews react to, to assault? Assault came in
1: two forms. One of them was physical assault, the other was um, oral other form came in oral written forms. And the turn of the turn of 1910s uh, to after the first world war, but only before during the war, new and more dangerous form of stereotypes, um, anti-Semitic prejudices emerged. You, in a Hungarian sense, right, which blame Jews is literally on everything, especially on the lost war. Uh, stereotypes Prejudices which equated Jews with communists, which equated Jews with Freemasons, with revolutionaries. Well, prejudices, uh, stereotypes which uh, claimed that Jews had betrayed their land um, after the First World War or betrayed the land during the war. They collaborated with the Romanian occupiers in 1919. And these blatantly false. Or distorted uh, or false charges, or distorted or exaggerated uh, charges, uh, had to be dealt with, and used used many channels to address these problems. But uh, if you, I looked at newspapers, and and normally the most common way I would deal with to show numbers, show the Jews did go into the war. They did fight at the front. Uh, at the front, they did die in large number. In fact, they died more frequently than non-Jews. So I looked at newspapers. I looked at statistics. I looked at um, looked at uh, parliamentary speeches, liberal by and Jewish parliamentary representatives, and tried to measure their impact. And one of the way to deal with these prejudices was so-called anti defamation. You so try to show the 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 cruelty, but also the ridiculous size of these prejudices, uh, the gap between reality and and, and the claim uh, the uh, the anti semites made. Um, so they try to uh, to basically deflate, uh, deflate uh, anti-Semitic, uh, semitic uh, or uh, anti-Semitism after the First World War. So I, I looked at this press campaign conducted in the regular press, uh, the Jewish weeklies, but also in the comic weeklies, and try to measure the impact
0: whether they were successful or not. What can students and scholars of racism in other cultural and historical contexts learn from this book? How can the study of humor in Jewish history contribute to fields such as African-American studies, South Asian studies, Latin American studies, or East Asian studies? How can the study of humor in Jewish history contribute, for example, to new understandings of humor in African history or Caribbean history?
1: Um, I'm a member of a, here uh, uh, a colleague a research group which focuses uh, which deals with mainly asymmetrical dependencies in the world slavery and asymmetric dependency studies this is a new uh, branch of uh, uh, colonial studies so it, it tries to go beyond slavery studies in the traditional sense but deals with Post-slavery issues or dependencies of all sorts, and I found, especially in Caribbean studies, I kind of tried to dig into, uh, that um, humor was one of the way to uh, to uh, deflect violence, uh, to to deal with the traumas of of discrimination. It was a way to, as I mentioned earlier, keep body and soul together, the individual to to survive in an incredibly hostile environment. It is always also about language. So when we study, for example, African-American history, the development (coughs) of African-American culture, emphasis is played on the unique form of humor and also the, the the kind of secret language the kind of dialect people use to to uh to preserve their community to separate themselves from the group of exploiters so it is human is a way of of, of creating de- delineating separating and also maintaining boundaries creating boundaries maintaining communities and in that sense these uh, this uh, uh my book i think may, uh, makes a contribution to uh, the study of asymmetrical dependencies especially when it comes to uh, the the the, uh, the uh, discrimination and the and the psychological cultural dimension of 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 of, of asymmetrical dependencies
0: in the modern world. What does your book teach us about Jewish responses to change? How does the study of jokes help us understand the historical processes of Jewish assimilation? Historians, we deal change. So if, if we, uh, in contrast to linguists,
1: anthropologists, we usually, they look at long durays. Historians are much more interested in what changed uh, structurally, um, and uh, uh, in the case of Jewish history, uh, my book deals with this drastic change in two ways, uh, two drastic changes. It deals with the issue of urbanization, the community which is moving from the countryside into large urban settlement for the first time, really, because they were forbidden in a better part of Eastern Europe, to live in large communities. But in the late 18th, early 19th century, the, the gates of cities like Frankfurt and Main became open to Jews. And they, they, there they recreate their culture, they, they change, uh, they adopt, they uh, assimilate to a large extent to uh, the host culture. So the book is really about Geographical mobility, about urbanization. What is the difference between rural jokes and urban jokes? Almost all of my humor jokes cited is urban jokes. It deals with typically urban issues, urban problems, lack of security at night in Budapest after the First World War. Um, The the, the characters are typically urban uh, dwellers. They are students, they are shopkeepers, they are waiters, uh, they are uh, uh, officers. So they they deal with the urban world. Um, So they deal with change, they deal with urbanization. (coughs) The book also deals with with social change. Uh, Jews had to Assimilate, obviously, everybody is trying to assimilate into a not into an ethnic group but into a social class or a professional class. In Hungary, the middle class, the so called Christian middle class, was often of noble origins. So they came from the nobility, but they they were the warrior class. Originally, their main profession was soldierly, or in the 18th century on, they became civil servant. So Jews who tried to assimilate into the world of the nobility, the aristocracy, the very reality element, the aristocracy, or the, the lower nobility in Hungary, it's called the gentries. Now, it was logical. It was logical that was the only middle class they could assimilate into. But the problem was with this Hungarian noble class, same in Poland, that it displayed very strong feudal feudal uh, features. So it was clannish; it was blood related. The nobles would count their ancestors back to, you know, back to five hundred years, and assimilation acceptance was very difficult to obtain within this class. So the book deal in large part with the, the problems of assimilating into an otherwise closed
0: social group. What is the relationship between Jewish self-criticism and Jewish self-hatred? How, if at all, are these phenomena interrelated? So the jokes is obviously, has to be
1: understood always in, in a context. They deal with uh, Jewish assimilation and Freud described it beautifully. When, uh, when a, a person leaves the ghetto, uh, cannot be it, and suddenly looks at him, himself in his, in his poor clothing and, and, and in an urban environment and began to make fun of himself. Right? And, and so the self, a uh, typical issue associated with... with Simulation And um, so the, the self-criticism in, in part has to do with the simulations and the troubles of the simulations. The psychological issues associated with the simulation. And the simulation is always a difficult proposition. What should be preserved and what should be thrown away? And that creates tension. Tension within the individual, within the individual family, between family members. How much Jewish tradition should be preserved? How much we should we make? How many much concessions should we make to the uh, outside world? And especially true for the larger community, the religious community. In Hungary, you have at least two, but actually more communities: you have the Orthodox community, they have the reform community called the neologues, and the orthodox community is also divided into two branches. And all three of them have different responses to assimilation. The neologues go further. They basically want to throw out everything with the bathwater. The, 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 uh, for them, Judaism is nothing but a very uh, a modernized form of religion. No cultural traits attached. The language, uh, outside appearance, everything else should be changed uh, uh, to and adopted to the local community. The Orthodox, the Western and Eastern Orthodox have different responses to it. And these different groups compete with each each other. So when it's described as self-critical jokes, it is in fact is often factional jokes. So the neologues making fun of the orthodox, or the orthodox is making fun of the neologues. It is the question of modernity and assimilation. How much, and what is the problem associated with modernization? But if somebody is way too successful, what kind of dangers professional and material success would hide for the individual and the community. So all of these self-critical jokes deals with with factional tensions within disagreement within the Jewish community. Kind of uh, sometimes crude, uh, crude fun-making at the expense of the others, especially when it comes to the neologues, urban Jews making fun of religious. This is really often crude. It's condescending. No question about it, right? But sometimes the Orthodox make uh, equally equally sarcastic remarks about, you know, the the very eager uh, urbanites who throw out everything. Uh, so that is still within the Jewish community. You know? It is it deals with an internal problem of assimilation: what should be preserved and what should uh, what should be uh, discarded. Now, self-hatred is something different. Self-hatred is taking over the prejudices of the outsiders, right? And it is, the humor is completely different. The Jews uh, in, in uh, self-depreciating humor is funny. It is, it is a small-time crook, right? It's it, based on a literary figure, if so I try to explain it. Um, And it it is an endearing character. The Jew is never demonized uh, in self-depreciating humor. It's never portrayed as a threat to to the world. It is never portrayed as an an all-powerful entity, a devil incarnate. So self-hatred and especially anti-Semitic humor is, is... Infused with violence, infused with contempt, infused with hate, and infused infused with violence. And the two is not obvious. The, the The difference between the between uh, uh, the contemporaries it was obvious. Today it is it is often very difficult uh, uh, to 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 separate because especially when it comes to caricature, they use the same. Jewish stereotypes as anti-Semitic uh, caricatures, the the exaggerated or even completely invented ethnic features, but uh, but the context uh, is 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 different. So, in so many ways, it is it is the context. Who is telling the joke to whom, and uh, and uh, what is what is the
0: source and what is uh, the motivation behind behind the jokes? What makes the jokes? presented in the book funny what can we learn from your book about the nature of funny quote unquote what can we learn from your book about the context from which the jokes emerged humor is always contextual, contextual.
1: um and what is funny changes from time to time what uh, was funny in the 1960s and 1970s, for example, um, in the history of the world, um, uh, we today often find offensive, especially in a sexual uh, sense. Uh, but not only in the United States or Canada, but also in Italy. Italian humor is very earthy. Uh, um, or British humor in the 60s and the 70s. So we could see this even in our lifetime, that the humor of the 60s, or even in the 90s, if if we watch Seinfeld, for example, today, uh, uh, my students watch it, they don't really get it. Not only because they are German, and so the cultural context is different, but the, the sense of humor changed today. Very difficult to understand the humor of the late, 19th century, which was the great age of of imperialism and nationalism, uh, the great age of uh, national stereotypes and stereotyping. This is the, just before the First World War. And this is a great age of travel, and people rise and open up, they discover different cultures, civilizations, and they try to understand it in a very crude form. And that is the great age of caricature. The great age of the comic weeklies. So the humor is very earthy. Uh, the humor is often crude. And it it's often this, uh, uh, not only against Jews, but also, let's think of, uh, for example, Hungarians talking about Serbs, or Romanians about Hungarians, or French about, about the British, or British about the French. So if you look at the comic weeklies, at the turn of the century, um, in Britain, France, or Germany, or Austria, the Kikiriki in Austria is unbelievably, um, for our perspective, crude and 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 uh, and uh, uh, informed by informed by, by by very strong different source of humor. So we have to think. Uh, Pre 1914, I mean, definitely have to think before 1933. Nazism and the rise of Nazism and the Holocaust put this humors in a very different, uh, very different light. And, and uh, our task as a historian to to discover and, and and understand humor in its historical context, and uh, and not how it looks in 1950s, not 1990s or two thousand, and explains what changed. And that is, uh, as I mentioned earlier, the main task of, of historian.
0: How would you reply to readers of your book who might feel that jokes presented in the study are not funny? How would you respond to those who feel that Jokes, as were communicated during this time and in this context, were mean, insulting, degrading, distasteful, rude, or hurtful. Were there any jokes or expressions of humor that Jews themselves found objectionable? Did Jews ever find their own humor inappropriate, condescending, or offensive? That is a a very important question. Uh, Again, it goes back
1: to the question of context. To understand humor in this historical, social, and political context uh, during the First World War or after the First World War. Like today, people in the late 19th century found humor, uh, often found humor insulting. Often, humor is meant to be insulting, uh, and there's no question that humor always contains or could contain a a, an amount of violence. But this is, there's no question that uh, even anti-defamation humor, which aimed at making fun of anti-Semite, anti-Semite found it incredibly, incredibly uh, insulting. Uh, I start my book uh, about Hitler's fear of Jewish humor. And we will find this, interestingly enough, in the 19th century, there is this paranoia especially in authoritarian Europe, in the first half of the 19th century, the police were obsessed with Jewish sarcasm. So not only Jews, but more importantly, the outside world, non-Jews found Jewish humor um, biting. uh, It is not respectful enough. Or outright, uh, outright, uh, hurtful. Now, what is even more interesting that many Jews find is humor. Oh, uh, humor, uh, uh, not funny or insulting, and they were absolutely right. Some ways, if it meant that the Orthodox making fun of, of fun of uh, the neologues or Neologues were, were were making fun of of of, of them. But clearly, uh, there was a lot of. Uh, a lot of complaint uh, on the orthodox side about the cruelty of this form of humor, And uh, in fact, we would say that the religious establishment, both on the neolog side, the reform side, and the orthodox side constantly uh, talked about and rejected Jewish humor, what we, we consider uh, the humor of this comic weakness, right? They found them exactly the same. Nevertheless, uh, the high majority of Jews read uh, these comic weeklies. Uh, they passed, uh, you know, jokes on uh, to each other, and many of the, the jokes from the streets ended up in the comic weeklies. So uh, humor is always a question of negotiations, but in uh, a uh, uh, cultural uh, a cultural exchange uh, a, a hit and try some of them some of the choke sticks, survives uh, and, and passed on for decades even under communism 50-60 years later in a, in a different form survives because they are inherently funny and <laughs> some of them are rejected on the spot <clears throat> and that is what we face with humor in our life today too. So there's always always this negotiation, negotiating pro- process uh, taking place between the inventors of humor and, and those who receive the humor and, and
0: adopt this humor or change the humor in the process. How did Jewish perceptions of the ideal male differ from their non-Jewish Hungarian counterparts? Can you comment on their different visions of masculinity? What were the real and imagined differences in attitudes toward heroism?
1: Now, in anti-Semitic press, Jews were often described as unheroic. Oh, um, indeed, per definition, Jews could not <coughs> could not be gentlemen. In many countries. Um, uh, uh, Jews, for example, could not practice, could not, um, uh, could not engage in the most manly, uh, most most manly act uh, in duel uh, in defense of their honor. Um, in Hungary and Austria, this was somewhat different, because, in fact, Jews were overrepresented among the duelers. Um, but as far as the anti-semites were concerned uh, jews embodied the 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 opposite of modern hungarian and european gentlemen um uh, in outward appearance in behavior and in values um uh, mannerism so the jews in anti-semitic press described as agitating nervous um, who uh, of <laughs> who could not keep cool. The typical nineteenth-century gentleman was the British gentleman, that very gentleman who, who were cool like a cucumber, who preserve his dignity in every circumstances, um, and and uh, and who also wants to keep his honor. and... Uh, the military version, the more activist version, was a person who would respond to the challenge to their honor on the spot and would uh, would uh, would uh, uh, revenge or revenge any kind of insult. Um, so the anti-Semite means the Jews could not be gentlemen. Reality was, of course, very different. Reality was that Hungarian Jews assimilated into. Uh, she was uh, estimated and not only Hungarian culture, but adopted a um, uh, completely this Hungarian and European form of uh, masculinity. Not uh, adopted that they were overrepresented in the late 19th century among those who engaged in dual. The prerequisite for dueling was um, uh, the ability to give satisfaction the, to. Uh, the, so, so the person had to be cultured and wealthy enough to uh, to engage in gentlemanly pastime and activities, which included uh, included in- included dueling, uh, and also had to finish a military course, had to um, be a graduate of. Um, some form of military, I had to graduate from, from, so I had to be a reserve officer, I had to serve at least six months or a year in the Hungarian army, which gives them the title of, of, of a, a lieutenant or an assistant lieutenant. And that gives them the right to wear a sword and, and give satisfaction. So there was no, when it comes to reformed Jews, there was no difference. And they were a member of the Hungarian middle class they behaved exactly in the same way as the member of the Hungarian middle class Now the Orthodox variety the religious variety was obviously when it comes to dueling and also the social so they, they were much more a pacifist brand uh, so they did not subscribe to this hot-blooded you know uh, ideal of the Hungarian gentleman but, uh, who looks like a Hussar lieutenant and behaves like a Hussar lieutenant, who is a man of honor, a man of birth and a sword, especially a man of sword. So the the answer is basically that the Jewish community on these issues, like almost every issue, was uh, divided and in the process of transformation. The direction was going to assimilate into the Hungarian middle class, adopted the norms, and the values of the Hungarian middle class, but at the same time, in, in jokes, they kept their distance from these from this, these ideals, and the jokes were often played uh, or made fun of this violent, arrogant, uh, superficial uh, European male ideal. So this that that makes it uniquely Jewish that this. Uh, when they adopt these ideals and they practice these ideals at the same time they keep a distance from it and critique it. And that this makes these jokes particularly
0: interesting. What does your book teach us about misogyny? What role did gender, sex, and lust play in the jokes that you analyze?
1: The humors I analyzed in my book are very earthy, uh, often rough and, uh and and sexual uh the paramilitary groups the perpetrators of anti-semitic violence uh um uh, the jokes they used um, were were clearly infused uh, with uh, hostility and and uh violence against women so the, the jokes of what were basically the spiritual or intellectual or verbal dimension of what they were doing in practice. So the paramilitary groups committed horrific crimes against Jewish women, working-class women, um, uh, liberal or democratic women. And they joked about this violence. And humor, as far as the paramilitary group were concerned, was a means of justifying and making this violence possible Now Jews also <laughs> but but the, the humors what they use with the exception of the black humor which again tend to be very uh, borrowed from a Eastern uh, Eastern Europe from Russia, they tend to be uh, a little bit more muted. It's all about sexual behavior, right? Uh, infidelity, um, uh, infidelity, uh, having um, a, a, a relationship with the countess, um, or or marital uh, disagreements, uh, husband and wives, the problems associated with bourgeois marriages. So some of them are really deal, dealing with, uh, with with everyday uh, modern issues of husband and wife domineering wife um uh, or uh, daughter and, and father relationships sexual relationships in general in, in the family which which is really has to do with assimilation and other innocuous uh Jewish jokes generally when it comes to gender tend to be tend to be Compared to the
0: anti-Semitic, tend to be much less, much, much, much less uh, innocuous. What was the Tiszaclár blood libel of the early 1880s? What transpired? What were the consequences? The Tiszaclár blood libel was the first
1: um, uh, mark of watershed in the history of Hungarian Jews and the history of anti-Semitism. Uh, Between 1840 and 1883, Hungarian Jewish society underwent a rapid transformation. Um, In this period, Hungarian Jews not only entered, or Jews from Eastern Europe entered Hungary in a large number, but they successfully assimilated into uh, Hungarian society. And the level of acceptance uh, was in this so-called liberal period of the 19th century was the highest. Uh, the, uh, both uh, the Jewish and the non-Jewish members of the Hungarian middle class were talking about the Jewish-Hungarian symbiosis. That there would be a, a Hungarian middle class which uh, which would uh, fully engage with and fully uh, fully incorporate uh, Jewish culture, uh, uh, the Jewish segment of of, of of so there would be a, a the best-known poet, already described it as a form of, in a form of wedding dress, a, a wedding, uh, wedding dance, a, a, a true symbiosis of two cultures and two middle classes. Now that dream of a new middle class uh, came, but did not come. Came first under attack during the Tiszaesvar blood libel trial. The trial itself was was. Uh, seemed to be a, or seem to uh, um, uh, seem to be a, a trivial affair. Uh, in, in a in a remote village in Eastern Hungary, uh, a teenage girl called Esther Somogyi disappeared. Um, she was a servant girl, abused by her um, her master. Uh, sent for paint uh, to buy a paint for a local store and did not return. And did not return uh, late afternoon and uh, in the evening, and the mother began to look for her, and and they, she could not be located the next two days, and and then rumors began to spread that local Jews captured this girl, took it to the temple, and took her blood to uh, to use her blood to prepare prepare the Passover bread, um, and. And this uh, rumor created a local, uh, a, 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 a local disturbance, a kind of riot. Uh, 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 the police was called in, and the arrests were made. Local Jews were arrested on the basis of a of uh, a young teenager's, uh, one of the of uh, the cantors' son's denunciation, who claimed that a, he saw through people actually the uh, keyhole that uh, his father and members of the Jewish community indeed uh, took this young girl's blood. So this nobody really believed in Budapest right the whole country was shocked that this kind of rumor could spread. But the local elite believed it and put the local Jews on trial. And this trial in 1982-1983 was received not only national, but international attention. It became an international scandal and divided Hungary, just like the Dreyfus Affair, divided France in 1895 into two camps, those who believed in the rumor and those who considered the revival of what they considered the the worst kind of medieval uh, superstition. Uh, The person who defended uh, the local Jewish leaders was a Hungarian liberal, called Oetbosch, a uh, uh, well-known lawyer and parliamentarian, and who proved that the charge was all made up. The boy, uh, uh, basically, was uh, light, uh, nothing could be seen after the keyhole. So if you look through the keyhole, there was nothing <coughs> on the other side of the keyhole. So the local Jewish leaders were acquitted. And then uh, riots started. Riots started in Yiregy uh, Haza where the trial was right, but also in Budapest in the western part of the country. And uh, often the police and even the army had to be called. Now, that uh, you know, this not so much the trial, but the reaction to the trial uh, uh, scandalized and more importantly shocked Jewish leaders, and 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 made (laughs) made many to to doubt the, the viability of assimilation. So this is the first time when Hungarian Jewish leaders began to doubt the possibility of full and complete assimilation into the Hungarian middle class. And what is interesting for my perspective, my book perspective, that Hungarian Jewish humor between 1840 and 1880, if I looked at I looked at the Hungarian Jewish weekly, Borsam uh, Janko from the 18, uh, 1860s until 1884, they included very few Eastern European black humor, very few. It was all about uh, about progress, change, um, uh, success stories. Uh, the tone of the humor were optimistic, and in the first first time in in uh, in uh, in the history of Hungarian. Um, Jewish journal or journalism or Jewish humor, uh, the, the tone of the humor in 1883 and 1886 became darker. So there are a, about 10, 15% in my book say of the jokes tend to be Eastern origins, of Eastern origins and Black humor. Um, in contrast to my Eastern colleague, uh, Mary Gluck, I argue, however, that this is not a watershed. Because by the 1890s, uh, uh, the tone of the, uh, the Port Sam remained optimistic. Right? so it is, it is, it is the first, um, uh, first premonition, if you could, we could call it, a prelude to 1919. But it is not the watershed. The watershed is the White Terror, the war, and more important, the White Terror, when the tone of, 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 of
0: Jewish humor become much more darker. Much darker. What was anti-peasant humor? What are its key themes? What did these particular jokes reveal about Jewish attitudes and Jewish prejudices?
1: Eastern European Jewish humor, particularly Russian and Polish Jewish humor, is is strongly anti-officer, anti-civil servant, and anti-peasant. Peasants are usually described in in, in a very dark color as anti-Jewish superstitious, often dense and even dumb, cruel, uh, bloodthirsty, uh, almost in Orientalist terms, uh, as as beyond or below the level of civilization. So there's no love lost uh, uh, between uh, officers and Jews and Jews and peasants when it comes to Polish or Russian, uh, Russian Jewish humor. In Hungary, Jewish humor tends to be much more uh, much more well-meaning and, and, uh, when it comes to peasants. The Hungarian uh, Jews assimilated into the Hungarian middle class, the Hungarian nobility after the 1840s, 1850s, idealized peasants, it has to do with romanticism, as the most Hungarian of all social groups, as the reservoir of Hungarian culture, regional Hungarian culture, music, language, and so on. And Jews subscribe to this idealized version of Hungarian peasants. So there's hardly any anti-peasant jokes in the borsam Janko in the 1870s, 1880s. If they are there kind of uh, kind of innocuous kind of hardness and and what is interesting that in 1919 one of the groups the perpetrators of violence uh, provides them the masses who or the mob in the rural part of Hungary or, or peasants so the peasants do not behave they do not live up to this idealized version of, of great wise uh, are meaning tolerant individuals and, and in groups. But they do commit uh, uh, crimes, anti-Semitic crimes. And and these jokes for the first time uh, began to realize that. In uh, jokes is a heuristic device, a way to understand reality. And but in my book I, I, I show this is two contradictory feelings. The realization that peasants indeed could be anti-Semitic and hostile uh, to uh, to, to, to Jews, not only on religious and cultural grounds, but also on social grounds as members of the middle class. Uh, But also, uh, these jokes also show that the old attitudes, this idealization of the peasants survived. They, They simply could not be easily discarded. And and in that sense, because we tried to capture change, this is uh, a a coming of a change, because when times goes on in the 1920s, 1930s, Hungarian peasant society became more anti-Semitic. So they look at Eastern European peasant societies, Hungarian peasant society until 1914, were relatively, compared to Romanians but especially Russian and Polish peasants, Ukrainian peasants, there are very few, this is lies an exception, very few reports of anti-Semitic violence. Nothing like what happened in Russia in 1881, Romania 1906 and so on. But it is changing rapidly after the First World War because of indoctrination. So anti-Semitism is, uh, it comes from below, it is informed by cultural, but more importantly, social envy and resentment. But also, in the 20s and the 30s, um, in, in, you know, uh, indoctrinated from above, um, uh, come, come from above. And by 1944, uh, unfortunately, the, the situation had changed rapidly. Peasants welcomed the anti Jewish laws which uh, solved the so-called land questions at the expense of Jewish landowners, and then taken away taken away from Jews, and distributed them on peasants. So, ethnicizing social policy, as a of of Hungarian historians called it. And not only that, in 1944, the majority of Hungarian peasants looked on, were indifferent to the fate of their uh, uh, Jewish neighbors deported to Auschwitz. And in some cases, they even actively participated in the robberies of Jewish, uh, Jewish families and, and properties.
0: As we print today's dialogue to a close, can you tell us about where your time and attention have gone since completing this book?
1: Uh, well, I wrote a few articles. Since then, one of the articles deals with justice, or lack of justice, which um, I completed last week, which examines uh, uh, the the career, private and professional life of paramilitary, of the members of these paramilitary groups, and whether they face justice in the interwar period and beyond. Uh, So it deals with the question of justice in a legal, but also historical sense, uh, whether uh, Hungarian society uh, gave, uh, remembered uh, the victims of violence and, uh, uh, and how, why they did not remember the victims of various. So how historical memory of these events uh, expired after the First World
0: War um, uh, came about and have changed the last uh, 100 years. Thank you for sharing. And as we end today, thank you for all the erudition you shared with us during the course of your generous responses to everything we talked about in the course of our dialogue. You're welcome, Ari.
1: Thank you for inviting me.
0: To our listeners, I am your host on the New Books in Jewish Studies podcast, Ari Barbalat. Today, I've been in dialogue with Dr. Bela Baudot. We have been discussing his new book, Black Humor and the White Terror, published in New York by Routledge 2023. Bela is Professor of Eastern European History at the University of Bonn in Germany. Thank you so much.